Maybe you guys remember something that happened in our nation about three and a half years ago, the Charleston Church Massacre. Do you remember that, that shooting? It was back on June 17th of 2015. What happened is a young white man, usually that's who the shooters are, right? young white man named Dylan Roof went into Emmanuel AME Church. It's one of America's oldest black congregations. And he chose it quite intentionally, and he went in there, and he shot and killed nine African Americans, including the senior pastor, and wounded three others. Later, Roof confessed that his desire was to ignite a race war with this act, but he did not get what he wanted mostly in part because of how our brothers and sisters in that congregation responded. How would you respond? How would you expect a disciple of Jesus to respond? I mean, if the problem is hate, is more hate the solution? And I was just in awe. We got to hear uh, family members of the deceased. They themselves are part of that congregation when Roof went to his bond hearing. The judge allowed the family members to address the accused. And here's what they had to say. You took something very precious away from me. I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. Although my grandfather and the other victims died, at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they they lived in love, and their legacies will live in love. So hate won't win. I'm very angry, but one thing the pain has always joined in and our family with is that she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. Now, wow, we have no room for hate. Hate won't win. We forgive you. We're praying for your soul. That is just stunning. Folks, that's discipleship to Jesus right there. It is not about whether or not you smoke or cuss or which political party you vote for. This stuff is real. This stuff is radical. And Jesus wants to make it clear. So as we go through Luke, remember, he just chose the 12 apostles, and then he comes down and he gathers those 12 along with the bigger group of disciples, and he sits them down to say, listen, let me tell you about the kingdom for which you're signing up so we're not misunderstanding each other. Let me tell you about my kingdom. And he starts to lay it out for them. He gives them the Beatitudes. And then we get to today's passage. I don't know if you're ready for it. You might want to put your pads on, right? Because this, this thing is tough. Let me show you what it is that you signed up for. Coming out of Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus speaking. He said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. 
And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That is a tough and loaded passage. And I want to walk through some things that it says and doesn't say. For example, it talks in there about abuse. The context of this is not domestic abuse. In a situation where a spouse or a child is being abused, we get that child or that spouse out of that situation. But this is uh, more in the context of abuse out in the community. But either way, look, what it says is pray for those who abuse you, which means not only do we get you safe, we get you out of there, but you maintain a heart that is praying for God to work and restore the abuser's life. You're praying for your abuser. Crazy. Talks about offering the other cheek, or as we learned growing up to say, turn the other cheek. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't defend the weak. This means you don't defend yourself. Scholars are divided. Some think maybe this was uh, when somebody got kicked out of a synagogue, there was a ceremony for it. And at the very end of the ceremony, they'd slap you on the cheek. Maybe Jesus is saying, look, if you become my followers, they're going to kick you out of the synagogue. Get ready. But then the Greek word there is jaw, really, so it might be a punch on the jaw. We're not really sure, but either way, when people hear this, sometimes the way they respond is they say, you know, I'm a little bit more of an Old Testament guy. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's how I roll. You're not an Old Testament guy, you're a jerk, right? And, and you also misunderstand the Old Testament. You understand what the Old Testament is doing is limiting, not requiring retaliation. There was disproportionate, you knock out my tooth, I kill you. And God said, no, 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 no. At the very most, an eye for an eye, a tooth for the tooth. We are limiting retaliation. And then later, Jesus comes along and he gives us kingdom values. And he says, you are to seek the good of others, even enemies, even at sacrifice to yourself. Then it talks in here about your cloak and your tunic. And you're like, all of you are like, I'll give them up because I ain't got cloaks and tunics. <laughs> all right, let me update it, right? Somebody steals your coat, you give them your shirt as well. That's what it's saying. And understand, his audience, look, they didn't have like closets full of cloaks. You would likely have one cloak, your outer garment. And for a lot of people, that would be your blanket that you would sleep with that night. And somebody just stole that from you. Give them your shirt as well. What? Then it talks about beggars in here. Does this mean you have to give to every beggar who's panhandling on a street corner? I don't believe it does. The Greek seems to indicate that this is not a random beggar out there, but this is somebody you know who asks you for help. As well, we have passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, that says, if a man is unwilling to work, let him not eat. Because hunger is a powerful motivator toward work. But notice what it says. It says if he's unwilling to work, not that he can't work, he's disabled, whatever, or not that he's temporarily out of work trying to get a job. No, then we give, we take care, right? But if a man is unwilling to work, what's going on there is we're not supposed to give in order to cover laziness, and we're not supposed to give to scams. That's not it. Giving to a scammer is not a loving thing to do. Giving to somebody who wants to work but can't and is hungry, that's very, very loving. We do that. We do that. So, 
If somebody is begging, sometimes what I do is I offer to drive them to Haven of Rest, a great homeless shelter in Akron. We give money to them, so we're financially giving. And then I offer to take that guy there. Because there he's going to get shelter and food and counseling. They're going to work with restoration for him. Perfect. A lot of times, though, the person on the corner says, no, I don't want that. I just want your money. And the reason why is, I don't know, studies have been done. Sometimes those people working in the corners can make 70 to 80 grand a year. And that, that's what's going on there sometimes. Now, because of these verses in our scriptures then, Christianity often becomes a target for scammers. People go to the church wanting immediate handouts. Now, we have money that we use as a congregation to take care of those in our midst who are on hard times. But we have a process. We have an application that they have to fill out. Sometimes we require financial counseling because if you can't pay your gas bill this month, we want to ask, what about next month? What's the plan here? And Because we're trying to give people not a hand out, but a hand up. We want to move them not towards dependency, but towards restoration. So we require an application. Sometimes people don't like it. And they say, I don't want to fill out an application. I just want money. It's, it's interesting. Hunger is a great motivator. Listen, if my kids are starving, I'll fill out whatever dang piece of paper you ask me to. And if somebody's not willing to fill out a piece of paper and get real help, come back when you're hungry. And we'll help you then. So we've got a process so that we give them a hand up, not a hand out. So yes, we are going to help those in need. But here's, listen, we need to apply discernment and wisdom. Yes, we do. But check your heart. If the reason you're not giving is because of judgmentalism or stinginess, that's bad. If the reason you're not giving is because of wisdom and true helping and strategy, that can be good. We want to help people get whole and self-sustaining. We want to restore them. All right. So there's some thoughts, but check your heart. Look at this. You know what we just did? Everything I just told you is true. But we just did a lot of work to take the teeth out of this passage. We just worked hard to neuter Jesus' words. We worked hard to make his charge, his challenge impotent, to make his words easier and more palatable so that we could move not toward a new kingdom ethic, but so that we could hold on to our old worldly selfish ethic. Dang it. Jesus came along and he said, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Can I just tell you, look, loving your enemies is really, really easy to say. You know, oh, I love my enemies. Absolutely. As long as I can keep love my enemies, as long as I can make that a contentless phrase, just a subjective feeling, and I don't have to do anything. Loving my enemies is easy. The problem is that Jesus came along and he gave it content. And he said, love is an action. Look at some of the things that I've tried to highlight there. At the top, he says, do good. I don't care how you feel about your enemies. Do good to them. That's loving them. Do good to them. He says, bless them. Bless is to work for their happiness. That we want them, our enemies, we want them to be happy. I don't care how you feel, work toward that. Pray for them. (laughs) Okay, we... We pray for our enemies all the time. God, smite them. Wipe them. I don't think that's what Jesus meant, okay? 
No, but it's to pray for them. Look, if somebody is hard on you, is hard for you, you commit to praying for them every day, and you watch, God will change that circumstance, maybe just your heart. I don't care how you feel, you take them to God in prayer. That's love. And then we offer, we turn the other cheek. You know what that means? That means you had to intentionally put yourself in striking distance of somebody you knew might hit you. And after they did harm you, you stayed. Courageously stayed there, risking more harm to yourself. That's love. I don't care how you feel, that's love. And he asks us to give to our enemies. It's because love, love is indiscriminate. Listen, when you discriminate with your giving, what you're doing is you're saying, I will give to my friends because I know my friends will give back to me. That's just boomerang love. Who am I loving? Me. When love is indiscriminate, when I give to my enemies, then I'm actually doing the action of love. And then Jesus caps it off at the end. Do so to them. That is the golden rule. We grew up here in this, right? The golden rule. What you want people to do to you, you do to them. Hey, I want you to know that the golden rule, there was an incipient form of this already in the rabbinic teaching. But it was different. It, what it said is, do not do what is hateful to your neighbor. Jesus came along and he amped that up a pretty good bit. What he said is, no, 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 don't just avoid doing bad stuff, also do good stuff. And not just to your neighbor, but also to your enemies. Wow, that's tough. That's tough. Now, I want you to imagine your Lord Jesus is sitting down, his disciples right now, and he's saying, that's my kingdom ethic. Is that what you want in on? Are you sure? Even to our enemies? Jesus would say no, especially to your enemies. See, by naming them enemies, that assumes that they've done harm to you. Listen, think how often do we justify and rationalize our negative treatment to somebody else because what we say is, you don't understand what they did to me. Right? Jesus said, no, I assume they've harmed you. We're saying, Jesus... Jesus, it's okay for me to treat them like that. They've harmed me. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I acknowledge that they harmed you. Now go love them actively. And the context here, (laughs) Jesus is speaking to a first century Jewish audience. Remember, they were a conquered people. The Roman army had conquered and was occupying. You understand, Rome often used murder and torture to dominate and subjugate those people. The Jew would hate their Roman enemy with every fiber of her or his being. In fact, the Jews had an ethic. And it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Hate your enemy. And so it was viewed as totally, totally okay to hate Gentiles, people of a different race. That's fine. And it's totally okay to hate the Romans because they're your enemy. That's fine. And Jesus said no. You see, that was viewed by the Jews as good, godly, virtuous character. And Jesus said, no way. I want you to love your enemies and do good to them. To try to turn your enemies into a friend. 
And I can imagine the Apostle Peter sitting there listening to Jesus and going, it's, just, it's funny, Lord, because it sounded like you said, love your enemies. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. And so that they didn't miss the impact of what he was saying, he went on, and look at the rest of this passage, continuing in chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's the kingdom ethic right there. That's what it means to be his disciple, his follower. It's a new kind of kingdom. It is a counter-cultural kingdom. That is because Jesus came and this changes everything. He turned everything up on its, on its end. This is what it means to actively love your enemy. And I don't know, maybe I need to apologize to you. Maybe so far, somebody has led you to believe that Christianity is all about puppy dogs and butterflies. But Christianity has teeth. And it's tough. It's tough. But I'll tell you what, it's very well worth it. I want to tell you three reasons that loving your enemy is very well worth it. And the first one is Jesus. It's for Jesus. Listen, my guess is if you're in this room, most of you, not all, but most of you are claiming to be disciples of Jesus. And as such, you're saying you want to become more like Jesus. How many people want to be more like Jesus? Wow, you're screwed this morning, okay? So... <clears throat> Let me tell you about your Lord. If you look at the end there, it talks about common grace. That he is a God who sends rain and sunshine and food and shelter and clothing to both his faithful followers and to the evil, to his enemies. He gives common grace to both. He not only gives common grace, but he also gives special grace. That is that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his enemies. And when he did, during the crucifixion, you know the story, right? You remember what happened? First they slapped him on the cheek, right? And then they stripped him of his cloak and his tunic. And then they beat him, they whipped him into a pulp, crucified him, and as he hung on the cross, you know what he called out? He said, Father, forgive them. He prayed for his enemies. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he wouldn't do the biggest example in all history himself. That's what Jesus does. He is, listen, he's God in that moment. Don't miss that. In that very moment, he is the one that if he wanted to wipe all the Roman soldiers out, he doesn't have to move or speak. He just wills it and they're dead. He is actually the one who holds the universe together. So he just stops thinking about them and they cease to exist. And yet that God loved his enemies with that kind of sacrifice. That is insane. 
Listen, you better love the fact that Jesus loves his enemies. And the reason why is because his enemies were not just Jewish and Roman leadership, but were his enemies. We were. We rebelled against him. And yet he died for us. He prayed for us. He forgave us. And he loved us actively. Not just a feeling, but with action. So again, the question is, who wants to be like Jesus? Jesus is saying, awesome. Go love your enemies. Go love your enemies. And then we say, oh, never mind. (laughs) Like, I love the idea of loving enemies when I'm the enemy being loved. But when you're asking me to go love my enemies, not so much. Can I just come to church on Sunday morning? Call myself a Christian? Redefine Christianity into some 2018 American version? Listen, Jesus came and this changes everything. He's setting up a new kingdom and he's doing it with his Holy Spirit. See, he's not just giving us a new list of rules. Oh, here's the new rules. I'll work hard to try to keep those. And you know what? You'll fail at those. I fail at those. You know what you need? You need a Savior. Now, having gotten a Savior, then what happens is you get adopted into the family of God. And the question is, can you bear the family resemblance? It's not one of physical appearance. It's one of character. That we would live this out in a way, if you look at the end, that we would show ourselves to be sons or daughters of the Most High. That we would be merciful even as our Father is merciful. This is the family resemblance. And so we do it out of worship, out of giving glory to Jesus, not out of fear, but out of love. The reason we love our enemies is because of Jesus. That's the first reason. The second reason we love our enemies is for others. Obviously for our enemies. We do it for others, to bless them. It reminded me of the story of Les Miserables. If you know from either the book or the musical or the movie, great, great story. Jean Valjean is a guy who steals in order to provide for his family. He gets caught. He gets thrown in prison. Those were not nice prisons back in France in the day, right? He gets thrown in prison for 19 years. When he gets out, he is an outcast. He's ostracized. He is a bitter man. He's continually pursued by Officer Javert, Constable Javert, who is trying to put him back in prison. He's got nowhere to turn, nothing to do. And so a bishop takes him in for the night and gives him a, a bed to sleep in before he gives him a marvelous, marvelous meal. Then during the night, what happens is Jean Valjean gets up to steal the wealth of that household in the silver. Steal all the silver. And at least in the movie, the bishop surprises him, wakes up and hears a noise, it comes down, surprises him. And so what happens is Jean Valjean lays the bishop out, takes off with the silver. And then the next day, this is the scene. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed... (laughs) that you gave it to him. 
Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Some of you are probably disappointed that I didn't play the musical version. If that's true of you, you are my enemy, and I love you. <laughs> musicals are weird. <laughs> Man, what a great scene, though, right? Holy cow. I mean, it's a famous, famous scene. And what is going on there is the bishop is actively loving his enemy. It's not about how he feels. It's about what he does. And in that move of mercy, that move of grace becomes the hinge in Jean Valjean's story. Such that as he proceeds throughout the story, then he becomes a person who is himself restored. And he runs into a prostitute who's working that trade just to provide for her child and he shows grace to her. And then when she dies, he takes her child cassette into his own household. And then he later has a chance to exact his revenge on that stinking constable, on Javert. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He goes himself with mercy and grace. You see, your act of love, of act of love, could be the hinge in someone else's story. Totally could. So what we do as disciples of Jesus is we love actively, we love aggressively, we become the visible presence of the invisible God, the one who loves his enemies, does it through us. And then we watch, and we wait, and we hope, and we pray that God might bless them. See, we not only do it for Jesus, but we do it for others. And then the third reason that we love our enemies actively is that we do it, I want you to do it for yourself. <laughs> Maybe you didn't say, it's for yourself. Listen, Jesus is not calling you to a life of less. He's calling you to a life of more. He's not calling you to less, he's calling you to more. In fact, he's calling you to live large, to love actively even enemies. That's a large life. We are called to be different people, unique, peculiar people, citizens of a new kingdom. 
And so we don't need to protect our bodies. You know why? We're going to get resurrected bodies. I don't care what you do to this one. Smack it. Doesn't matter. I'm getting a new one. We're not called to put our hope in our money, in our clothes, in our things. Listen, we are royal heirs on a journey through a broken world. We're going home to our kingdom where we're going to be fabulously wealthy. What does it matter if I give some clothes away along the way? Jesus isn't calling us to less. He's calling us to more. He's calling us to a bigger life, a meaningful life, a better life. And and so who cares if we give away some clothes along the way? You understand that when you came to Christ, the very first thing he did is wrap you in a royal robe. Why are you hanging on to your old rags when they could bless someone here and now? That's silly, isn't it? You see, the very first thing that Jesus does is he meets all our needs in Christ and then he asks us to live the kingdom ethic. And so I think he's kind of scratching his head saying, why, why are you scrambling trying to meet your own needs? I've got you. I got you covered. Now go love your enemies. We as the people of God are, ought to be uniquely free to love our enemies to not settle for a small life, not less, but more. You see, one of the reasons we love our enemies is for us. It's for yourself. Remember all the woes. Woe to you. Woe to the bitter and the angry and the hateful. Woe to the selfish and the self-righteous. Woe to the judgmental and the entitled. Woe to you. Jesus is saving you from all that, from yourself. It's for you. And so sometimes he brings hardship and enemies into your life to break your grip on the things of this world that you might embrace the kingdom ethic. It's for you. And one of my brothers got this. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. If ever there was a dude that had reason to hate his enemies. And yet listen to this quote from him. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Yeah, he led our country in the right direction. But you know what? He had to do it for himself too. Hate was too great a burden for him. And some of you say, well, I don't want to do good to my enemies. Fine, then you will consign yourself to live in your own prison of your bitterness. And your enemy won't be hurt by that. You will. You got to let go of that. And if you do, Jesus says in our passage, your reward will be great. Your reward. You know what you'll get out of it? You'll have, you'll have joy. I don't, I don't know if you realize what I was doing to you. If you go with Jesus, others, and yourself, that's joy right there. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's our reason, our three reasons for loving our enemies, and it leads to joy in our own life. It's not less, it's more. It's a big life, not a small life. It's a life where we live large, we love actively, even enemies. That's the kingdom right there. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, how are you going to live this out? Do you have a neighbor who's just mean and bitter all the time? Why don't you take his trash can up from the curb for him? Just to bless him. Do you have a co-worker who's always really mean? Buy her lunch. Maybe a gift card, whatever. Just bless her. Just because. Maybe there's... The person who cuts you off in traffic, and you know how reflexively you honk and so they give you the finger? You cut me off! Like, I ought to give you 
finger. Maybe I ought to love my enemies. Maybe I ought to let that person in, smile at them and bless them and let them have a great day because I'll get where I'm going. It's all good. Love your enemies. What if, here's, I want you to right now picture in your mind the one person who is most your enemy in this world who really just gets under your skin. Some of you are struggling emotionally right now just thinking of that person. Here's what I want you to do. Would you commit to pray for the blessing of that person every day? And you watch and wait. God will change that situation. If nothing else, he will change your heart because this is for you. It'll be a glorious thing. I'll give you one other example. What about your engagement on social media? How about Kaepernick? And standing and kneeling and the anthem and cops and military and Nike and... Do you have an opinion on that? I bet you do. You hold it loosely though, right? (laughs) Listen, we've got opinions in this room on both sides and they are deeply and dearly held. We have people in this room who are probably buying Nike gear this week. We have people in this room who are burning Nike gear this week. And so what are we going to do? Now that you have an opinion, now according to the kingdom ethic, what will you do? Would you love your enemies? Or will you lead a small life? Can I just be very honest with you? I want to be straight with you guys today. I get so tired and so frustrated at watching people who claim the name of Jesus go on social media and they are pissy. Why? Can I just tell you? I want to show you a list of everyone who has changed their opinion because of your rants. There they are. And you understand, you gave up the kingdom ethic to gain that list. Isn't that ridiculous? But we do that. How does the golden rule come into this situation? Could you, in light of this controversy in our nation, would you listen to people the way you want them to listen to you? Would you show consideration and respect to those who disagree with you in the way you want them to show consideration toward you? Would you seek to, they have a different opinion than you, I get that. There's validity on both sides of this argument. Would you therefore seek to understand their perspective in the way you want them to understand you? And would you be as willing to change your opinion as you're hoping they're willing to change theirs? That's the golden rule. That's the kingdom ethic. Can I just say to you, Jesus doesn't give a rip about your opinion about Kaepernick. He cares if you love your enemies, even those who disagree with you about Kaepernick. That's what he's shooting for. That's the kingdom of God right there. What we need to do is we need to live large, love actively, even our enemies. Folks, this world is a mess. And every day you will be part of the problem or you will be part of the solution. And so I'll give you my favorite quote from Dr. King. He said, returning hate for hate multiplies hate adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. 
man, that brother of mine had it going on. He got it, and it cost him, but he lived large. He loved actively, even his enemies. That's the kingdom ethic. And right now, Jesus is sitting you down as his disciples, and he is saying, let me tell you what you're signing up for. Are you sure you want in? Because this is what we're called to. Yes, you'll get joy. You'll offload hate because it's too heavy of a burden. You'll be free of your bitterness. You will live large, love actively, even enemies. And it'll be wild, and it'll be crazy, and it'll be different from this world. Do you want in? In fact, bow your heads with me, if you will. Because in a moment here, we're going to get to sing a song of response. And in that song, we will sing about one who traded his crown for a cross in order to save those who rebelled against him. And we're going to say, Can I, God, will you give me more of Jesus, less of me? Would, would he be my treasure? Could I let go of all the other junk? Can you change me to be more like Jesus? After all, Lord, there is a world who is dying to know what you're like. Would you use me to show them even by loving my enemies? And Father, we pray for that right now. That you would use us to love our enemies for Jesus, for others, even for ourselves, because Lord, we need joy in our lives. We need you. We want to be like you. We love you and we want you to use us maybe to be the hinge in someone else's story. And we admit we do it very imperfectly. Oh, Father God, don't let our Christianity be small. Put teeth in it and let it first change us. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.